Welcome to Touched by Cancer, a podcast where I connect with people whose lives have been affected by cancer. Touched by Cancer is a phrase that recognises that cancer is an illness that leaves a lasting impact on both those diagnosed and those around them. Our guests will share their personal journeys, discussing the importance of early screening for effective treatment and highlight the support services that are available in Halton. Before we begin, I want to provide you with a gentle heads up. Our discussions cover cancer-related topics including diagnoses, treatment and emotional struggles. I understand that these conversations can be sensitive and I encourage you to prioritise your well-being and join us when you're ready. Hello and welcome. In this episode, we have Maureen Isherwood with us, a remarkable individual who was touched by cancer when her son Matthew was diagnosed. Maureen will take us through the emotional journey of her son's leukemia diagnosis and how it affected her and her family's life. She'll also reveal the challenging experiences that led her to discover the support provided by the Witness and Runcorn Cancer Support Group, which eventually led her to work with this organisation. Join us as we gain insight into a mother's perspective of the importance of community support. Without further ado, here's Maureen. Hello, how's it going? Hi, fine. So, uh, first question, Mo or Maureen? Mo is fine. <laughs> Fantastic. Mo for my friends, and I consider we are friends. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, so, yeah, um, we have been working together on a few different bits and bobs, and I'd always known you as Maureen, and I remember um, on a recent workshop um, where we I like to do name badges quite often at the beginning of workshops, you put Mo on it, and I was I, I was like, oh, I didn't know that was that was uh, what you sometimes go by, so awesome, we'll go, from, we'll go as Mo then from now on. Okie dokie. How has cancer touched you? Um, it, it actually wasn't me personally. It was, um, as a parent, it was my son, who was 14 at the time. And um, before any of this, as a family, we really hadn't been touched by cancer. It was an area that we hadn't been involved in at all. And um, what type of cancer was it? It was what's known as ALL leukaemia which I think is acute lambastic, I think, leukaemia. Mm. So, which is cancer of the blood. Right, right. And, uh, and how did you find out? Um, it, it, was a, it felt like a slow process at first because mm. um, Matthew had actually changed schools. Mm. He'd gone from a big comprehensive school to a small academy in the September. Um, Matthew was a fit, healthy young man mm. with no health problems. And when he started the new academy, when we got to the October half term, he picked up what's commonly known as a norovirus. Mm -hmm. But then he didn't get over it. And you would think he was getting better and then it would floor him again. And this went on for a few weeks. And it was a bit of a red herring because we thought we'd made the wrong move, Mm -hmm. that perhaps we shouldn't have changed schools for him. And then friends were saying that Matthew seemed to be losing weight. Mm -hmm. And then um, he was actually a fire cadet Mm. and they were on an event in um, Delamere Forest doing Christmas trees that they do every year. And when I went to pick him up, um, the fire cadet leader said, I need to have a word with you. And he had said how poorly Matthew had been in the day, Mm -hmm. just gone green, sat down, no energy, and had been sick. So that was kind of the last straw, if you like, Mm. because I said to Matthew, oh, we need to go to the GP now, we can't 
there's something not right, thinking just a virus, or, yeah. but something he needed help with. And we tripped along to the GP, and that was when things went pear-shaped. And so once you got to the, to the GP... Um, what was the what was the process then? Um, we have a really good relationship with our GP, so I was really really lucky in that she listened to what I was saying, mm. um, and at the end of the conversation, she then said, "Right, I need to do a blood test," and this was a Friday afternoon, um, so we that was on the third day. So she did the bloods, sent them off to the lab. And then on the Monday, she rang me in work, which threw me off guard because I thought, that's a bit strange. Yeah. So she said she wasn't happy with the blood results and she wanted us to go up to Whiston, mm-hmm. have them redone, but not to panic, pick Matthew up from school, go for a bite of lunch, straight up to Whiston, mm-hmm. and they're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. So I did what every mum does and we didn't go for lunch, mm-hmm. picked him up, straight up to Whiston. And they did the bloods, and then we hung around for a couple of hours. Mm. And then a lovely Australian doctor, sorry, South African she was, came in to us and then just gently explained that um, there was something not working right with the bloods and that they were looking at leukaemia. And then my mind just went into overdrive because part of me was thinking, leukaemia, isn't that? cancer yeah and then another bit of my mind was thinking it's got to be because no doctor is going to say to a parent we think your child's got cancer mm. unless they're absolutely yeah certain that's the route that we're going to go down um so then she said that um he would need to go to all day mm. the following day for a lumbar puncture and matthew was sat with me mm. listening to all this and um the lumbar puncture would be a definite diagnosis. Mm. So I remember saying to her, well, what time shall I get to old A? And she just said, you, you're not going anywhere, you're staying with us. So we stayed in Weston overnight. Had a, he had a massive nosebleed, mm. which unbeknownst to me, he had been having, but he has an older brother um, who's eight years older than him, and he'd gone to him about that. Right. So looking back, I think he must have been a bit afraid. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know about the nosebleeds. So anyway, they sorted him out that night, and then the following day, we were transferred to Old Hay with blue lights on the ambulance, and that's when you're thinking, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so then we arrived at Old Hay then, so... And how was Matthew during this time? Um, if you know Matthew, he's a very mm. quiet, quietly spoken person and holds his own counsel. And one memory that I have is that when that first doctor gave her suspicions to us, he we were in, I remember we were in a room and there was an ensuite toilet and Matthew got up and walked towards the toilet and I thought, he's upset, but he come back with tissues for me. Mm. And then I remember distinctly saying to him, right, we're on a journey, but we're on this together. Mm. You're not on your own. And all through treatment, Matthew just held his counsel and just got on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few cl- clues along the way that he was frightened, but mm-hmm. he's not one for mm-hmm. demonstrating how he feels. Um, his way of coping was to get the iPad, 
put the headphones on, leave me alone. Mm. Uh, and that was how, that was one of his coping mechanisms. So you mentioned then that you were going to Alder Hay um, for, for those around Merseyside, as, as, as we are. Yeah. We'll, know, we'll probably have know, know of Alder Hay, a, a fantastic children's hospital that yeah. do um, amazing things, you know, in, in lots of different areas. Um, how was your experience with Alder Hay? We had um, a really, really good experience with Alder Hay because within the cancer ward, they had teenage rooms and there's a charity called Teenage Cancer Trust who were on hand. Um, they had an officer, so they were there frequently. But the staff were just amazing mm. because people of Matthew's age, he was 14 at the time, it had stopped their life in the tracks. Mm. Everything they were doing, all their interests, everything just stops. And the staff were aware of that. Mm. And they were aware of what a massive impact it was on their lives, never mind the families. Yeah. Um, so we found everyone to be um, really, really kind, but honest, very honest with him, which I appreciated because it encouraged us to be open and honest mm. as a family. So nothing came as a big shock or ev- everybody knew what was going on. I mean, that's it, really. It's... Everybody, you know, has heard of cancer. And, you know, we, we know the statistics now. You know, one in two people will, will yeah. be touched by cancer. And, um, but it's just, I'm sure, something that you just don't expect that your 14-year-old son will, you know, will be diagnosed with. How did uh, you and the rest of the family, you know, we talked about the brother yeah. there as well. How was it How was it for everyone in the family at that time? Um, my initial response was I'm a very active person, mm. school governor, guiding, working, lots and lots of interest mm. going on. And I could actually, I don't think people can appreciate it, but when we got that diagnosis, it was as if I was in a long corridor mm. with lots and lots of doors and I could visualise the doors closing and locking because I knew that Matthew was now my priority mm. and everything would work round Matthew and what we needed to do for Matthew. Um, I'm married. Gary and I have been married for 32 years now. Gary's coping mechanism was to work and to throw himself into work um, because I am an organised person and as far as Gary was concerned, I'd got it. I was sorted. I knew everything that was happening. So he didn't feel he was able Mm -hmm. to take control or anything because... I had control, I think. Um, my eldest son was amazing. He stepped up um, like the third parent. He was really, really good. He kept, held his own counsel. Um, we found out through... Both the boys were involved in Boys Brigade mm. and they were both quite close to the leader. They'd grown up with him and they were family friends. And I found out later that Andrew had opened up to him mm and said how devastated he was, and but he didn't feel he could share that. Everyone was, like, you know, soldiering on, and yeah. um, we didn't break down in front of each other, Yeah. but we did with friends. We have close friends. I remember one phone call of a, a chap that I've known for years that we'd grown up with, and he'd rang me one night that we were in hospital, and I couldn't speak. Mm. I just couldn't, I knew the voice on the end of the phone and I just remember him saying to me, you don't have to say anything. He said, I'm just going to talk. And when you're ready, talk. 
And that was amazing mm. because I could just be myself. Yeah. And because I was devastated, my child had cancer. Yeah. And um, it was just devastating. Uh, put work on the back burner. I worked for um, Inland Revenue at that time, mm. full time as a manager, very dedicated to my job. And yet I just walked away. Yeah. Just walked out the office and that was it for a good eight months actually before I managed to get back. That's it. I think there's there's no textbook for this, is there? There's no there's no right or wrong. There is just, you know, reactions to how you work. And it sounds like uh, you and your husband had Gary, uh, had different you know, different yeah. reactions to it, you know, like yeah. uh, and um and it's not to say one is wrong, one is right, but I think that might just be quite nice for people to hear, do you know, how yeah, you know, you are gonna react yeah. how how you react to this and, and you know it's not about you everyone's got to react this way or everyone's got to react yeah. this way and things like that and yeah I guess giving people that time and space you know to kind of yeah deal with things yeah how they how they progress um all these emotions you know yeah. like that there must just have, it must just have been spinning at the time yeah. you know like yeah. so many different things um so when you got to Alder Hay how long were you in Alder Hay for right initially the the start of treatment for Luca they tell you at the very beginning mm. that for a boy it's going to be three and a half years of chemo treatment mm. so you know that right at the right. very beginning so the first six to eight months is when they bring the big guns out mm. and they kill all the blood cells off wipe everything out um, with the hopes that they're eliminating the leukaemia cells. So the initial visit was a fortnight. So we went in on the 14th of December and lots and lots of chemo and steroids, which he coped with admirably. Mm. Um, I thought at the time, you're doing really, really well. Mm. We're going to be all right with this. Mm. Um, we got home. He needed... Um, I'm going to say this quite flippantly because it did become flippant. He needed a blood transfusion before we could get home at half past 11 on the 23rd of December. And uh, and that was just to top up the, the blood after the damage the chemo yeah. had done. And blood transfusions became the norm for right. us, as did lumbar punctures, yeah. as did having um, a line inserted so that they could administer the chemo. So the big guns were with us for about eight months. Mm -hmm. And then once they've got everything under control and they're happy that they've got you into what they refer to as remission, mm. you then go on to remission chemo. And then that, that lasts for three years. So unfortunately, in the first stage, um, Matthew got a chest infection. Right. So we went in for the first appointment after the new year mm. and never came out for eight weeks. Right. And wow. um, in that time, he was really, really poorly. Mm. And he lost a third of his body weight. Wow. And that was the time that I had my own doubts, were we going to make this? Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to say, in that period of time, I planned my son's funeral in the dark hours of the night. Um, you can control your thoughts in the day. Mm -hmm. You can keep busy. But at night time, when your sick child lying in the bed at the side of you, asleep, your mind just goes haywire and you start thinking, have I got to prepare myself mm. for this? Because we were aware on the ward of children that were dying yeah. and we'd experienced that a couple of mm. times. So there was a bit of you thought, I need to prepare for this. I don't mm. want to, but I need to be ready in case that happens. And unfortunately it didn't happen, but 
that's the dark places that you go to. Yeah. And another thing that I found, um, growing up, I'd been in the church choir, mm. the guys, the brownies. I went to church. But I can honestly say, having been through that experience, I know I have a faith. Mm. Because at the darkest times, you would just sit and say, please, please, let us get through this. Yeah. And, and yeah, that was one thing that came out of it. That have you had a faith? Yeah. Wow. Incredibly powerful. And um, obviously, Matthew's still with us today. Was there a kind of a turning point? Was it over? Was it just a generally like slow progression back to health? Or yeah, how, yeah. very slow because for as long as they're on chemo, um, one of the early chemos they had is called Venchristine. And mm. um, Venchristine is very, very harsh, mm. and it damages the nerve endings, it can damage the the bones, mm. um, and it did damage Matthew's nerve endings. Mm. So Matthew had to learn to walk again because he, he ended up quite quickly in a wheelchair. And remember one of my earlier thought, early thoughts when we were on the ward, seeing children with no hair mm. in wheelchairs, thinking, ooh, hope we don't end up. Yeah. Like that, but very, very quickly, because the chemo is so cruel, we were in that situation. So Matthew went through weeks of hydrotherapy, mm. physiotherapy. We engaged a personal trainer mm. just to keep his his body strength up so that as he did get better, the healing process was easier for him. Um, he managed to get back to school after eight months, but went back in a wheelchair mm and could only do part-time, because one of Matthew's worst enemies was the fatigue. Mm. And even now, it will catch him where, at, you know, tea time, he might just say, I'm done, and he'll go and sleep for 12 hours straight. Um, so that that takes a while to get over. Um, but that, that was the worst one, the fatigue with Matthew's worst one, and the nerve, the nerve damage. How was he when he went back to school? Obviously, I'm assuming he would have had you know quite quite a time off, and you know would have been behind and things like that. Were the school good with him and things like yeah, that? Yeah, we we were very lucky because the move that we'd made that if you remember I referred to in the beginning. Yeah, he had gone to a small academy. Yeah, because Matthew is dyslexic mm. and quite severely dyslexic, so he was struggling in mainstream. He got a place at the academy, and they were just amazing. They would visit him at Alder Hay. Wow. And you know, bring work if he if he felt up to it. Software on his laptop, and remember the the teacher that was on the wall. She said this is unheard of, but the academy were in a position they could do that. Mm. They could focus on him because his year group was about thirty odd. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when he went back, um, the academy wasn't far from the office that I worked mm. in, so I would take him in the morning, and he had three friends that were amazing. They would come out to the car, get the wheelchair out, go in with him laughing and joking mm -hmm. and just look after him, That's treat nice. him normally, yeah. but look after him. And then for the exams, they engaged a scribe and a writer, mm -hmm. so that took the pressure off. But we didn't have exam pressure mm. because because of what he was going through. Exams were a byproduct. Yeah. If you do them, you do them. If you don't, don't worry. Um, I was worried, yeah. but, you know, don't worry, you'll catch up. But he got through. Because of the support he had, 
he got through his exams. So yeah. we were very, very... I know if families were... It's not like that. And the kids are going back to big schools that don't have the set-up. Mm. And because they're still... As long as they're on chemo, they're still vulnerable. Mm. They're still vulnerable to infection. Yeah. Um, so, but we were, we were very, very lucky. And the academy came under the umbrella of St Helens College. Mm. And Matthew progressed to the college and then to the university campus that's on the college. So we were really, really lucky. And it's made a difference because, you know, he's walking out with a degree, that's which amazing. we never dreamt, never dreamt. I guess it all that it puts everything into perspective, obviously, when you're going through all that, like you said, the yeah. going back and just being, you know, no pressure, you know, on exams yeah. and that, that thing yeah. of, you know, you can catch up, you can do different things. But, that, I mean, it is amazing that he's progressed so yeah. well and... Um, ended up getting a degree, uh, yeah. yeah, and through St. Helens College. That's, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, during the, the time, obviously, uh, there was a lot of support from uh, Alder Hay, which we've mentioned and stuff. Were there any other support services that you and the family used? Um, it, it was quite hard for the family mm. to get support. Mm. The support was there for Matthew, right. and especially when he was in hospital. Yeah, um, The problems would start when he came away from the hospital. Mm. Um, he was under the the care of the Teenage Cancer Trust that we said. They were very good. Mm. Uh, and there was also another local charity on the ward called Chicks, mm. which was a children and young adults charity. And they did a lot of um, events outside of the hospital. They would get the kids together to go for a meal or to go bowling, mm. go and see a show, just to get them back into socialising. Um, from a family point of view, it was quite difficult. Mm. And um, I didn't know anything that was in the borough. Yeah. And I just literally on Facebook one day fell across Windows and Run Call Cancer Support. Mm. So I, as a person, find it very, very difficult to ask for help. Mm. And what they were asking for was raffle prizes. So, right, I'll, I'll go around with a bag of raffle prizes. So... I went to the door of the centre and this lady opened the door and I knew her. It was a lady that we'd done guiding together for years. So I came in and just said, I brought you some raffle tickets. And she just took one look at me and just said, everything okay? So then I began to explain the situation we were in. Um, the difficulty was, I was Matthew's full-time carer. Mm. We spent all our days together so I couldn't get any word during the day, but what they did at that time, they did a Monday evening group. So when Andrew came home from work, or when Gary was home from work, I would then come round here for an hour and just sit and have a coffee and just have an hour for me and then just learn about what support they offered. Because with Matthew being a young adult, we didn't come under the wing of Macmillan. Mm. The seemed, what I've learned is there's a black hole the supports are for the young children mm-hmm. and the supports are for the adults. Yeah. But there was nothing for that age group. It, you didn't feel you could approach Macmillan. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the centre was a lifesaver at the time. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh. As, as an organisation, we've recently been, been piloting some, some stuff where we've been doing some creative sessions with people that have been touched by cancer. So that could be that they've got cancer themselves. It could be that they've got friends or family with cancer. Um 
and we had all these kind of like ambitions of what we wanted to be or how we wanted to do it and the feedback that we'd be getting more than anything is that people just love that it's just an hour and a half away you know for them to like yeah. learn something new just to get for their brain to be on something different for yeah, for an hour and a half right. you yeah know, and, and do it and so just with you saying that then about that monday evening it really reflected with me how like sometimes that can be the hardest thing can't it just yeah just if you're you're yeah. in the eye of the storm just yeah. managing to give yourself a little bit of time to yeah unwind or be yourself or just speak to different people yeah yeah and things yeah. like that and so now that you're involved with the with this and cancer support so how did that how did you transform from being a service user to being involved with them well what happened was my background was civil service mm-hmm. and um while this was all going on with matthew we knew that redundancies were on the cards mm. and because of our change of circumstances redundancy came at the right time um so i accepted the offer at the same time, they were looking for an outreach and engagement worker at the charity. So I saw the application and I spoke to who is now my manager, Nicola, at the time and just said, Am I, do I fit the criteria to apply? I was worried that because I was a service user, mm. I wouldn't be able to apply. So Nicola said, no, no, by all means, apply. Mm. And when I read the job spec, if I could write a job for myself, that's what, I, that's what I was reading. So, right, and it was flexi, it was part-time. So I'd worked out that between working part-time and taking my civil service pension, because I was of an age, I could take the pension, that financially I wouldn't be much worse off. Um, so I applied for the job and, much to my amazement, got it. And it came at the right time because I was being made redundant, so I was no longer required... Mm at a time where life was really mm. at its low point, to somebody saying, yeah, we, we, we want you. And it was brilliant. I got the confidence to do it. But I knew I could bring my experience to the job. And that's what I've done when I'm talking to people. I don't know their journey, mm. but I've got a pretty good idea how tough things are. At, at what point on, on your journey was this? Was, was Matthew... Uh, how oh yeah? How far into the journey was we that? were two years into the journey. Two years, two so years. we still had a length to go. Yeah, he still had a year and a half of chemo, mm. um, and it was quite um, it was quite a twin role really because I was learning to do the job, but I was still being supported, mm-hmm. and that was just it, it was just a gift because mm. I knew I'd had quite um, a rough time in the civil service with support. Mm because they have processes mm. and they followed the process to the letter. Um, and at one point, because I'd been off, I was off with stress. Mm. Um, the process says when you've been off so long, you have to then start managing that job holder out. And I couldn't believe it after 30 plus years. Mm. So that was a little bit of an eye opener. Yeah. Um, had a really good union rep, so mm. that was sorted out and I, I got my redundancy. Um, so it gave me a pretty good insight to how fortunate I was here mm-hmm. to have the support that I had and being given the support to still go out and do a job mm-hmm. that was a valuable job. Definitely, yeah, extremely valuable. Was there a point where you where you knew, we've done this, Matthew's going to be okay? Or, or what, how did that realisation kind of like come around? Or do you, do you even feel like that now? We are just about getting there. Yeah. 
because it's really like what I've learned with cancer that once you have that badge with that little C on, mm. you've got the badge. Yeah. And you learn to be on your guard, to look for signs. And what I could never do is when people said, how is Matthew? Mm. I could never say, he's wonderful, we're doing great. Because I didn't want to jinx it. I could just say, we're okay. Yeah. But I'm now at the stage where I can start to say, do you know what? We've done it. Mm. He's, we're getting life back to normal. He's achieving amazing things. Yeah. And it, letting go of him is really, really hard. Mm. Because when he took ill, it was a stage in his life that as a mum, I shouldn't have known everything about his life. Yeah. I should not have known about every minute of every day. Yeah. And it was like he was a small child again. Mm. So it, it's been quite difficult for me, even though he's 21 now, to let him go. Mm. And to say, well, do you know what, mate? You've got to find your own way there now. Yeah. Or do you know what? You have to, you have to actually pay for that yourself. <laughs> because I'm just so used to being... Yeah. Um, but we have a brilliant relationship. That's great. And we're, we're, we're great friends mm. and because of what we've been through. But, yeah, it only now, only these last six months, I would say. Six months. And is that, I'm just doing, I'm trying to do the maths quick in my head, is that seven, eight years since the original? Um, original? He was diagnosed in December 16, so he was 14. 14. So we're about a wee... 16, 21. Yeah, we've got six years down six the line, haven't we? Six years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Terrible in my head, Matt. So, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And because we've lived it, you, you yeah. lose the time scale. You just... Yeah. For, uh, and even now, socially, he's starting to spread his wings. Yeah. And I think he's starting to feel like, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. We're all right. That's but it's been a long time. I've had the pleasure of, of meeting Matthew. He... he, he has volunteered for us in workshops as digital arts box and also worked for us now as, as a freelancer and you know um i didn't know matthew's story before before uh, before meeting him properly and um and and yeah it's but it's it's really you know lovely to see him flourishing and doing so well for himself um if you could rewind your clock back to the to the first day that you got the um, maybe not even the diagnosis but you know you were you were worried you were, you were worried about it and you could give yourself one piece of advice, what would you give yourself? I wish I kept a diary from day one. Because even though we've had some horrible times, mm. we've had some amazing times. Mm. Because he was fortunate to uh, receive a Make-A-Wish grant. Mm. And um, Matthew is a foodie, enjoys food, enjoys cooking. And his wish was to go to Heston Blumenthal's restaurant. Wow. in London, which was amazing. Um, there were funny times along the way. Yeah. Um, the only way I remember them now, really, is when a Facebook memory will come up, and I think, oh, yeah. yeah. But not only that, I wished I'd done the diary to see where we've come from. Yeah. Um, what we've been, because it becomes... You won't appreciate this being a man, but it's like being pregnant. Pregnancy is hard, the birth is horrendous, but once you've got the baby... You yeah. forget all the pain. And it's a little bit like that. Yeah. You, you do forget. Um, or you put it on hold. You don't mm. forget. You put it on hold. Yeah. Because we have, um, as well as birthdays mm. and anniversaries, we now have our cancer dates. Mm. And they'll subtly, like, the 14th of December was diagnosis day. Yeah. The 9th of April 
was the day he took his last tablet. Wow. So you have yeah, these cancer marks. anniversaries. But, yeah, that, that's one thing I would have said is keep a diary and keep your friends. Mm-hmm. We were very, very fortunate. We have a solid friendship group mm-hmm. and we never lost friends along the way. One or two, but nothing. Mm-hmm. But we've met families where people turned away. Mm-hmm. But it's because they're frightened. Mm-hmm. They don't want to to speak to someone whose child has got cancer. Mm-hmm. It's uh, So that would be another thing that I would say is keep your friends close. Be honest with your friends. Tell them what's going on. Don't wait to be asked. Mm-hmm. Tell them and your friends will understand. That's brilliant. Do you have any advice for people that are currently going through this journey themselves? I think the best advice I can give is to keep going. Um, on the worst days, the very, very bad days, the only way I can describe it is like I was being chased by a wave, an overwhelming big wave, and some days it would get me. Mm. And you've got to let it get you, then dust yourself down, have you cry, take a moment, but then keep going. Mm. You've got to keep going. Um, some cancers, the treatments are quicker than others. Mm. Leukaemia is a long one. Mm. You're in for the long haul. Mm. And just look for the positive. Mm. And in most cases, we've got to be realistic, in most cases you'll get to the end and you'll come out the other side and stronger for it, I believe. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Mel, for coming in. It's been absolutely brilliant to speak to you and find out more about you, Matthew, and your family's journey with cancer. And thanks for sharing it with, with us and, and for everyone that's listening. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for coming down. Thanks for having me. See you again soon. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Touched by Cancer. If anything you've heard raises concerns about symptoms, treatment or screening, please consult your GP for advice. Early detection plays a crucial role in the effective treatment. If you're interested in exploring services mentioned during these podcasts, we encourage you to click on the link in the description to visit their website and find out more about the amazing services they offer. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to Touched by Cancer. Take care, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone in this journey.